Welcome listeners back to Forging Employee Experience. I am Josh Dreen, joined here with my co-host, Alexander Norin. Hey everybody, how's it going? We are so excited about our guest today. I am just percolating with excitement right now. It's true, he's percolating. We <laughs> can see it in the uh-huh. studio right now. There's a lot of percolation going on over here. But <laughs> we have with us in the studio, Eric Rowley. How are you, Eric? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're great. And thank you so much for spending some time jumping on the horn with us and uh, talking a little bit about your expertise. Before we jump too far into this, let me just tell you a little bit about Eric Rowley. Eric is the Director of Change, Training, and Communication at Walmart. Let's all just keep in mind that Walmart employs over 2.1 million people worldwide. And that's about 1.4 million people in the United States alone. So yeah, he's, um, you got your work cut out for you there, Eric. Well, yeah, things are big here. Things are big here. It's, it's good. Eric holds a bachelor's degree in psychology from Brigham Young University, a master's degree in industrial organizational psychology from the University of Nebraska. He has an MBA from Brigham Young University, and uh, he has a beautiful, big family. We're talking seven kids living in Arkansas. He's got a farm. He's got uh, crops that he's growing. So he's got it all. Holy smokes. <laughs> very multifaceted. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, who doesn't need 10 years of student loans, right? So, you know, why not get, why not get just a handful of degrees? And then, yeah, life, life is fun. So it's good times. Yeah. And I, you know, we, I've spent some time with your family and I just, we look up to you guys as the example family. My wife all, all the time says, I wish I could be like the rallies. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, just let us know you're coming by so we can make sure to clean up first. It's, it's, it's <laughs> well, go ahead and uh, fill in uh, some of that introduction there. Is there anything that I left out that you want our listeners to know about? No, no, I think, I think that's great. Um, that's kind of me in a nutshell. You did a good job. Great, great. Well, and you've been at Walmart for several years now, right? Yeah. Um, let's see. January makes eight years, and I was at Intel for 10 years before this. Mm, I believe you did a lot of organizational work over there as well, correct? Yeah, very very similar work. Um, all of my, my time at Walmart and at Intel has been spent around organizational effectiveness. So if you think about organizational effectiveness broadly, right, it includes how do we design an organization, uh, the, the structure, the, the, the boxes and lines on your org chart, but also ways of working in processes and how do you bring technology into that and how do you make decisions and you know, what are your people practices? So how, like, what's the blueprint of your organization? And of course, because you need to do things differently tomorrow than you do today, you really can't put this blueprint into practice unless you're willing to do change. So part of my career has been heavy in change management, which is kind of where I spend a lot of my time right now. Um, but this concept of associate engagement or, you know, employee engagement, however you want to say it, um, workplace engagement is critical. You can, you can design the perfect blueprint. I'm not sure if there is one, but if there were one, you could design the perfect blueprint. And if folks aren't engaged and if they're just not there, um, it's not going to work. So, so yeah, my career has been kind of this, this, weaving together of org design, change management, high-performing teams, engagement stuff. Yeah, pretty cool, actually. We're so excited to get into that because especially with Walmart being 
just an enormous company. Mm-hmm. We want to hear how that change goes down. But before we get too far into uh, all the logistics of that, the word employee engagement is tossed around and defined in all different ways. And so we just want to get an opinion from the expert. How would you define employee engagement? Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, you know, we were kind of chatting before that, you know, like one of the one of the best things that can happen to a, a workplace term is that it becomes a buzzword because then all the articles are about it, all the podcasts are about it, everyone's talking about it. You go to the conferences, it's all about that particular buzzword. But it's also kind of kind of bad because then everyone gets to make up their own definitions. So for our conversation, let's see if we can agree on this as a definition for engagement. Uh, engagement is it's what you see when people are fully involved in the work that they're doing. They're enthusiastic about it. It's the feeling of that, in, that, that investment. Um, I, I can't put a single word on engagement other than engagement, but, but, but engagement, if you, if you were to take the lid off of it and look inside, it's, it's this feeling of being involved and invested. It's, it's my enthusiasm. It's, you, you start to hear people say things like, no, no, no I, I want to do this, or no, we got to make this successful, or I, I love what I'm doing that's engagement. It's, it's, it inspires people. Um, it drives commitment. Uh, you might use the word passion. So yeah, Mm. that's engagement in my head. It sounds like, it sounds like it's a a byproduct of the, um, so many things, but I think what I'm getting from you is when you say it's what you see, that's, uh, it's more of like the result of your efforts. No, that's right. That's right. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what is, what is happiness or what is, what is love or, you know, it, it, it engagement itself, it, it's a mental state, but it manifests itself in certain ways that, that actually matter to companies very much. Um, a number of years ago, there, there was some research done. The Gallup, Gallup organization was big into the research. The U.S. government was involved, a um, number, of, number of organizations. And they found that depending on how you measure it, engagement actually cost the U.S. economy anywhere between 250 and 350 billion dollars annually. Now I know 250 to 350 billion, that's, that's quite a, a big range or large margin of error, but either way, those are big numbers. Just say 300 billion. 300 billion, like in my house, that's a lot of money, right? <laughs> and you know, for companies that are trying to just eke out like 1% more productivity, like, you know, like most companies, like just to, to try to put a dollar sign on what you lose because of disengaged employees, I mean, that's, that's material, right? That, that's, that's, that hits your balance sheet. Um, research you know, kind of went further and said, look, companies that have highly engaged employees outperform their peers. Em- employees outperform their peers like 20% if they're highly engaged and they've got lower turnover. They're almost, almost 90% less likely to leave. And there's this whole other body of research around the cost of turnover and, you know, actual costs and hidden costs. Turnover is expensive. Well, if you can, if you're 90% less likely to leave because you're engaged, man, if if you work for me, I'm going to try to drive your engagement. Things like operating margins go up by three or 4%. That's a lot. A 2% rise in net profits. Um, So when you start to put actual dollars and, and percentage points around what does engagement mean for me is like, like, it's not just like warm fuzzy. Like, like we might think, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm here for business and people just have a job and they come do their job. You know, I don't need the, the, the warm fuzzy all over. No, no, no. This is, this is like your profit here. So 
you're trying to be successful as a company, whether you're, you know, in it for the money or whether you're, you, you know, you're, you're a nonprofit organization or, or even a church, like whatever you're out to do, you will be more successful because your folks are engaged. So I, I, that's, couldn't be more true. And, and I feel like, you know, we've been, this idea of engagement has been around long enough now where, where the, the data has kind of sifted through the market. And, and I, I don't think this uh, idea of engagement, right, like you mentioned before, right, it's a buzzword now. People, people know about it. People, uh, people understand that, that it's out there. So, and, and yet for me, it, it's almost paradoxical, right? Like I feel like you have these, these people who lead these organizations who they're smart people, right? I mean, these are, these are intelligent, intelligent humans that are leading these, these organizations that are still struggling with engagement. So that says to me that engagement, while, you know, we just in the first couple of minutes here tried, pegged a really good definition to it, there, there's got to be there's got to be something about it that tricks people up, that prevents people from really getting it right. So, so what, what does that mean to you to, you know, what goes into this idea of engagement? How, how do we, God. you know, make it happen? That, that's a good question. Let me, let me get a little mathematical with you here. I'm going to give you just All a right, couple. Do it. I'm going to give you a couple formulas. And the first one is a, a formula about performance. And you'll see engagement is part of that. And then we'll unpack engagement. And the second formula is, okay, so then like, what goes into engagement? Okay, so think about it this way. If, if I'm responsible for a team, whether it's in a for-profit context or non-profit, whatever, performance matters because we've come together as a team to do something. Mm -hmm. Think of the formula this way. Performance equals ability times engagement times environment. Again, ability, okay. engagement, environment. So think about ability is, as, as do, do we have the skills we need? In fact, Let's simplify it individual level. There's a, there's a guy on my team. He's got a job to do. And he comes to the table with his individual skills, uh, the training that I'm going to provide. Uh, you know, he has a certain capacity for the work. He's got experience and a certain level of maturity. So he comes to work in the morning with, with a, a level of ability. Okay, that's your first variable. Mm -hmm. Second variable would be engagement which we'll, we'll drill into further, but just for a minute, engagement. And that's, does he feel the sense of commitment? Does, does he have high job satisfaction? Does he, does he want to be here? Does he like the work? Um, does he feel like this willingness to sacrifice and go above and beyond? That's variable number two. Okay. And number three is environment. Like, so when he gets to work, does he have the right tools and resources and systems to do his job? Does he have enough time to do his job? Do I support him as his boss? Does, does he have a team around him that either facilitates or gets in the way of that? Is, it, is the workplace dirty and dangerous and noisy or is it facilitative to focus and concentration? So again, performance equals ability times engagement times environment. Now, mm. it's times, not plus. So if any one of those is zero, it blows up the others. Like, you know, oh. a, a lot. High <laughs> you ability. That, you remember that from Algebra, Josh? The zero <laughs> thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. And, and I only know that because I've got high schoolers in Algebra right now. So oh, they reminded me, Dad. Okay, nice, good, good, good. Yeah, that was last night uh -huh. at the table. Yeah, so, I haven't thought about Algebra in like a decade. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I promise we won't get any harder than that on the math okay. front. Good. But think about it. We need a tutor here. If we, if we tutor. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I'll go slow. So imagine. <laughs> Imagine you've got just the right person you hired 
and, and they're fantastic. And they have all the skills and training and maturity and professional poise you'd ever want. And the environment is awesome. You've got all the right tools and resources and there's a team there and it's, you know, clear vision and mission. It's, it's great. But, but they're not engaged for whatever reason. High ability times high environment times zero engagement is going to equal zero. Mm-hmm. And if it's low engagement, it's going to equal something low. So again, if, if performance is the composite of these three things, any one of them being low is going to sink your ship. And that's, that's ability we get because I'm going to hire carefully and I can train and I can give experience. Environment, that's easy too. But I mean, I can make sure you have the right tools and a, you know, a great laptop and access to all the systems that, you know, we're good at that. It's that middle piece engagement that usually is the low number that tanks ultimately performance. Mm. Got it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it feels like this, this engagement piece is the, the reason why companies, I feel, have high turnover is because they haven't quite yet figured out the engagement piece. Because like you said, sometimes we view it as fluffy or maybe the HR director doesn't have the resources that he or she needs to be able to implement the initiatives that will drive true change. So I, I, what, what practical advice could you give us to, to start down this journey of increasing our engagement? Ah, good question. So, so here's a second formula, okay? So again, first formula, performance equals ability times engagement times environment. Let's, let's take the lid off engagement and look inside. What goes into that middle box? Formula number two is this, how engaged am I equals, and now this is, this is very individual in my own head, okay? So how engaged am I equals my belief in my ability. Like, can I even do this? Multiplied by my trust in the outcome. If I do it, will I hit the objective? Will I, will I get the reward? And then multiplied by a third thing, which is value. How much do I want the objective or the reward? Okay. Mm. So again, my ability, or sorry, my, my belief in my ability times my trust in the outcome times how much do I want that outcome? Again, if any one of those is low or zero, you're, you're sunk. So how engaged am I? Okay, A, my belief in my ability. Well, of course I can do this. I've done it in my three previous jobs. I'm, I'm great at it. Um, I've been well-trained. I've been to conferences. I've had great mentors. I can totally do this. Mm. Uh, B, trust in the outcome. Um, no, I can see that if I execute this, um, I'll hit the objectives. I'll hit them on time, on budget, and uh, we will definitely land the plane. It's going to be great. Um, but C, how much do I value the objective? I don't know. Maybe not much. Like mm. maybe, maybe that objective seems irrelevant to me, or I don't see how it fits into the big picture at all. Or, or say I'm going for a promotion. My belief in my job, uh, yeah, of course I can do my job. I'm totally able. And uh, I totally you know, value, I completely, completely value that promotion. But my trust in the outcome, that middle space there, like I don't trust that if I do my job super well, that the promotion's ever coming. Because I've seen guys around me do it super well, and they don't get promoted either. So, so again, how engaged am I? My belief in my ability times my trust in the outcome times how much I want the outcome. And if any one of those is low, your engagement's going to be low. And like we just said a minute ago, that affects your performance. And it sounds like those three elements are, you, you know, when, when we talk about uh, uh, ability and um, 
environment in the, in the previous formula, you know, both of those seem to be pretty in control of the company, like you mentioned, but it also seems like these, sure. these three additional, you know, your perceived ability, right. And, um, it's something that the company can help you help you do. The company can help you see that there is value in doing it and that there is going to be the, the outcomes that you desire. Are this, would you say that the company has a major impact on these three elements? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, just take the first one, belief in my ability. So if I hire somebody mm-hmm. and then I find out that the job that they're in, they, uh, they, maybe it's not what they thought it was going to be, or, or they don't feel qualified or whatever. And I'm worried about their belief in their ability. I can do things like provide a crystal clear picture of what success looks like. I can, you know, success metrics. We can have a, a, a clear roadmap and a dashboard, whatever, whatever that person needs. I can paint the picture of success. I can do things like I can, I can give them the right training, um, whether it's in-house or I can send them away or I can get them a mentor who's good at this. Um, I can demonstrate that I'll be there to remove barriers. Like, yeah, so they're going to trip up. There's a learning curve, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to kick them out when they, when they trip. I'm going to be there to help them kind of dust themselves off and learn from that experience and go. So by doing things like that, I can boost their belief in their ability. Okay. That's, Trust in the outcome. Yeah. Then, oh, sorry, I cut you off. You go ahead. No, I think that's that's perfect, right? And and I just wanted to really get into the, the trusting the outcome part mm-hmm. as far as like the company is concerned because, man, if if your employees can't trust that it's going to work out in their favor, it's going to work out favorably, it's just it negates the entire formula. And, yeah, and it seems like right. especially in this element too, like this is where managers have to be on point, right? Like I think it's pretty easy to check the box and say, yes, um, you know, we enabled this person so that, you know, their their belief in their self is, uh, their ability is, is good. But, you know, do they really feel, you know, almost, I, I might even use the word safe, right? That like, you, you talked about these making mistakes, any part of growth, right? It's making mistakes and hopefully you, you, you fall forward right? Whenever you fall. Um, but that's, that's right. Very, that's very much part of the environment that's engendered, uh, by your direct, your direct supervisors, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to belief in my ability, um, just call it dumb luck, but, <laughs> uh, the, the cards are stacked on the side of the manager because most people believe they're able, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you do have some people that struggle with confidence, but it, in, in terms of their job context, but most of the time, if you polled, a thousand people in an organization, you know, 950 of them are going to say, no, I'm good at what I do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now there may be some disconnects. Like they say, I'm, I'm good in my career, but what I've been asked to do, uh, I don't know how to do that. Right. You've put me in the wrong job. I right. See, so there's yeah. some of that happening now, trust in the outcome, you know, it's, say somebody wants to be promoted and I'm their manager. I can say, look, if you do these things, if you demonstrate these types of behaviors and take on these types of projects, just like Bob and Sally and Sue over here over the last year, they all promoted and they started where you started. Or if it's a larger project thing, look, every time we've done a project like this, we've reduced costs by at least 5%. This one shouldn't be any different, right? So whatever the outcome is, you can call out when similar projects or similar efforts have been successful, right? Hmm. Yeah. And, then, and then again, value, these are very individual things. So the value I place on that outcome is going to be an individual thing. Um, you know, maybe I don't get too jazzed up about saving the company 2%, or maybe I really get jazzed up about saving the company 2%. Um, everyone is different. So as, as a boss, as a manager, I'm going to look for connections between what my, what my team members value and what the objective is. 
like, you know, I may be on a big project here at the company that I'm currently with. And we're, my team and I, we're working on something that's going to make life better for all of our employees. Well, I can show them what better looks like and say, look, they're counting on us. Right. And in other words, I can, I can help raise that value component as well. Well, let's, let's unpack that value component a little bit because a lot of times I think that gets lost in definition mm-hmm. as well because yeah. a lot of companies will, will say, oh, we just need a cause and that'll fix everything. And I know that you are, you, you've studied in-depth motivation theory and it's a very yeah. complicated thing, but if anyone understands it well, it's you. And so in the context of employee engagement and these formulas, how do we define that value or how do we uncover that value for our employees? Well, that, that's a great question. And you're right. And there's, there's kind of an ace up your sleeve that I didn't, I didn't call out in the formula. There's, there's like a wild card bonus if you want. Like, you know, <laughs> like Uno, it's your, it's your wild draw four card. It's the coveted card. And so, so go back to the formula. How engaged am I? It equals my belief in my ability times my trust in the outcome of, of my efforts times how much I value that outcome. But there's this other thing off to the side that's not bounded by the laws of physics in terms of those three components. It stands independent and it's what we all call intrinsic motivation, right? Those first three things that I talked about are very extrinsic. We're talking about things like training and promotions and saving the company money, objectives, and those are, there's no sin there. It's, it's, it's fine to be motivated extrinsically. We, we call that coming to work every day. But intrinsic motivation is important too. And it stands independent in the sense that it has nothing to do with the outcome or the 2% or whatever. It's just, it's how much do I love this? How much do I get jazzed up by the work? Um, if I work at a nonprofit, like do I really feel like it's my call to help these people? If I work at a company, like, do I really feel like I'm part of something big? And we're, we're kind of putting a dent in the world. We're changing things here. Um, like, intrinsically, independent of everything else, like, does my heart pump faster when I think about, let's, let's, let's get started. Mm-hmm. And, and managers benefit from this because even if I'm struggling to see the, con- my, the connection between my efforts and the outcome and like 2%, what, I, don't, I don't, whatever, but I love what I do. Maybe I'm a, a corporate trainer. Man, I just love training people. And I love training them and seeing the light come on and seeing their eyes light up. Like the stuff I'm training them on, I don't, I, you know, I'm neutral. But I love training. Well, I'm going to be a pretty good trainer, right? Mm-hmm. So, so think about it in terms of these two bigger buckets, extrinsic motivation, which is the first three we talked about, and then intrinsic. And, and intrinsic is additive. So even if something is missing in those, the three buckets under extrinsic and it turns out to be low or zero, intrinsic motivation can save the day. So, so and that's very individual. That? So how do, we, how do we harness that intrinsic motivation? You know, because you, yeah. you can't really. Yeah, it's very individualistic. Yeah, you know, right? everyone's different. And so if you're focusing on every single individual and every single intrinsic motivator, it, it can get overwhelming for managers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A few things you can do. Um, one is upfront in the selection process. Um, people carry their intrinsic motivation into the interview, mm-hmm. right? Into that selection process. So if I know what the, the work looks like, um, if I know you're going to be up front in, in front of a room training people four days a week, 
or you're going to be traveling around the world, or you're going to be looking for very small errors in, in accounting to keep us out of court or, or whatever. I mean, very, various things. I can be bringing that to the interview and I can be probing and testing for where is your interest? What makes you tick as a person? I can ask questions like, you know, in your spare time, like when you just have, you know, a weekend to kill, what do you do? Or what do you do in the evenings? Or, you know, what, what makes you tick? Mm. And then I can lay that against the template of the role and say, well, you know, you've got great skills and, and I want you on the team, but, but for a different role, this, this role is not going to get you jazzed up. Mm. I can, I can do things. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No. Yeah. Right. That, that value isn't going to, it's not a perfect match. No, no, it's not. And, and that's probably not a, a, a scientific interview question. Although I know there is some research about that and, 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 and there, there's evidence to, to say that, look, look, giving someone a realistic job preview and having an honest discussion about how that stands up against their interests and motives, um, that does l- lean toward, you know, helping to be successful once they're in role. Um, realistic job preview, that includes the elements of the, of the role against your intrinsic, intrinsic motivation. Yeah, there's science there. Um, I would add that once I have people on my team and I'm, I'm aligning team members to assignments and divvying up the work. Um, I can also get an understanding of if I'm their boss, I better already understand what their intrinsic motive motivators are. You know, some people, they really value uh, my time out of work and please don't cut into my evening. Some people love to travel. Some people love a challenge. Some people love this one part of the business because they just relate to it. I don't know, but but I need to find out what motivates my folks so that when I'm assigning them different, different jobs as they come across my inbox, um, I can get some kind of alignment between assignments and interests. That sounds like a lot of work, (laughs) (laughs) right? It is. It is. And, and, and I think that's important to highlight because uh, all too often, you know, I I think people are are looking into this, into this space and they're, you know, they, they listen to, to people that know about it and they're, and they're, and they're cued in on the, on the magic bullet, you know, even, even here, you're right with your formulas. It's, it's almost sounds too good to be true. Like, Oh, this is it. We just apply these formulas and we're set. Well, yeah. Um, but to do that, right. You know, managers need to step a step managers need to realize that part of being a manager is not only the administrative function of getting tasks completed, but also the people skills of better understanding who you're in charge of. Um, right. And that, and that right. doesn't come, there's, there's no, there's no shortcut to that. There's no shortcut to getting to know people, you know, um, it, it just takes time. And I think a lot of the times people are maybe, I don't know if they're unwilling to put forward that time or perhaps they don't see the benefit or, you know, maybe they're not very good at it, whatever the case may be. But I think it's important to, to highlight that, hey, if, if we're trying to understand the intrinsic motivation of, of employees, uh, that inherently will require, you know, effort and time on, on behalf of the managers. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I mean, I, there's no way to say without sounding kind of maybe pie in the sky or ivory tower or whatever, and it's probably a podcast for a different day, but we're, what you're touching on is the difference between managing and leading, right? Absolutely right. I, you're absolutely right. I, I can bring people in, fill the seat, give them the work, pay them at the end of the week, um, all day long. Mm-hmm. And as long as I hire, if I hire fairly well, um, you hire for skill like at the very least. Yeah. I hire for skill. People like to keep their job. People are generally good folks and they want to do a good job. Things are going to be generally okay. 
But if I want to be in those, those companies that outperform their peers that have lower turnover, that have, you know, larger increases in operating margins and net profits. If I want to be one of those companies, I can't just manage. I have to lead and leading involves understanding how people think and what they feel and, you know, kind of how they tick. And then, and then sort of letting that guide my decisions about work assignments and, and all it's all of that. And yeah, I can get away without the extra effort and just manage. Mm -hmm. Right. Or I can, I can lead. And for those who do, there are benefits. Yeah. And I think it's so important to, to know that we're not just trying to manage individuals. I, I know that Dan Pink says that managers are a tool that we invented to help get work done, to get results as, as far as like, you know, tasks accomplished, right? Boxes ta ta being checked. Box, boxes right. checked. Right. And I just love what we're talking about right now is, is about moving beyond just being a manager or moving beyond just hiring something, somebody. It's got to start with the onboarding process. Don't just look at their resume. Right. Find out what makes them tick. Make sure that they are the right fit because in doing so, you're more likely going to retain them longer. You know, and it's interesting too with the uh, with technology increasing the way that it is. Um, I've been I've been reading a lot more and seeing a lot more uh, articles being published about how some organizations are are afraid. Employees are afraid of being um, replaced by uh, machine learning, right? This AI component, and it's interesting that if you have an organization that is strictly focused on box checking, on making sure tasks get accomplished, well, then those employees, frankly, should be a little concerned that a computer is going to take their job because a computer <laughs> can check boxes very well, right? But if you, if, yeah. you have, if you have an organization that is instead focused on the person and the people and, and understanding what makes them move and helping them create all of these, create an environment that allows them to succeed, then all of a sudden now it's like, wait, I'm not worried about a machine taking away routine tra tasks. In fact, I'm, I, I will embrace it as an employee knowing that uh, that just opens up opportunities for me to grow and add value elsewhere. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And if you, if you want large scale value from all of this, mm -hmm. you have to pay attention to both extrinsic motivation because Rewards matter, outcomes matter, training matters, all, all of that. You have to figure out the extrinsic part and embrace the intrinsic part. Like managers will have a really difficult time. It might be impossible to directly affect somebody's intrinsic motivation. They, they just have it. What, what, motivates, what motivates them motivates them, right? Mm -hmm. So best they can do, managers, best they can do is to learn what people are passionate about and then align their job assignment to those areas of passion. It, at least some of the time. Now, look, no one, you know, I shouldn't say no one, but <laughs> it's just not realistic that we're going to just, you know, all love every single minute of our job. That's, that's, that's not realistic. Um, but it is realistic to think the people that are on my team, I can do the best I can to, to align them to what they love some of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, so overall they do have that. So you intrinsic motivation check. And then the extrinsic motivation, I can check that other ways. And the benefit is really in, in, in two spaces. A lot of research behind this, uh, not the least of which Corporate Leadership Council, CLC, I'm sure you're familiar with that, right? This, the CLC research shows that, that when you get these two things right, extrinsic motivation and, it, and intrinsic motivation, intent to stay really, really goes up. So retention, mm -hmm. are, are they here? and discretionary effort. So performance, 
discretionary effort, let me define that for you in my head. What that is, is look, there's a, there's a minimal amount of effort that I have to do every day to keep my job. Right. And some jobs, that's a lot of effort, Mm -hmm. but I know what the cutoff is. Right. And, and, and I don't have to do one unit more of effort and, and I'll keep my job forever. But discretionary Mm -hmm. effort would be above that line. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to stay late or I'm going to, I'm going to innovate. Yeah, I'm going to collaborate. I'm going to I'm going to step in when one of my colleagues is struggling. I'm going to share. I'm going to all of these things that give companies the edge. So intent to stay is retention, but discretionary effort touches on performance. So are they here and are they hooked? Right? Mm. And when you figure out extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, yeah, now you, now you've got it. That's really amazing. And I just, there's so many good gems coming out of this. I think that corporations and, and listeners are, are learning that there is a formula that they can apply. It's not just some fluffy. Yeah, make everybody happy. Make everyone happy, yeah. try and figure it out. Like it really does give you the edge and it really does affect the bottom line. So talk to us a little bit about what does that look like in practice? I mean, you, sure. you're not just an expert going around speaking on the subject. You're actually in the trenches at Walmart trying to implement change in training and communication for yep. 2 million people. So give us a little bit of a, a look in, inside of what that is. And hopefully some hope for those listeners that are trying to change likely smaller organizations and maybe not being successful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, you're, you're spot on. And I'll just go back to the to the, the, the motivation formula, we can call it. The second formula that I shared, which was how engaged am I? It, my belief in my ability times my trust that the outcome will come times the value of that outcome. When I approach it, when I go into a, you know, a, a, you know call, call me like an internal consultant and I'm going to go and work with a, a group of leaders and, and they, they describe what they're struggling with and they say, look, Eric, we've got really smart people like our, our problem is not talent, but still, for some reason, it just seems like things are twice as hard as they ought to be. Or like, you know, we just miss more deadlines than we should, or we're always over budget. And I don't, I don't know where, where that's coming from. I go to, to this motivation formula. Actually, I'd probably go a step earlier in our conversation and go to the performance formula. And mm-hmm. I'd look at ability and I'd test their, like, they're telling me they have the right people, but I would test that. Like, do you really have people with the right ability? And, and I'd go to environment, right? Do you have the right the systems and resources and time and whatnot. And actually, let me, let me just unpack that a little bit. The environment, it's not just about systems and resources and time. I've, I've found that there's this whole, this whole other realm um, of, of potential improvement. And it's kind of in the engagement space because it really is demotivating. And it's around this, 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 this body of work around high-performing teams. And there are some teams that perform and there are some teams that are able to highly perform. And it's a, it's a low percentage of total teams, right? Um, but it's things like, do I feel connected to the big picture? Do I see how our work matters? Um, do, we, do we raise and resolve conflict quickly around here or do we suppress it until like a pressure cooker it blows? Mm. Um, do we have healthy decision-making methods and protocols or is it kind of willy-nilly or, you know, do we just not do anything until everyone like gets a warm fuzzy and, and hugs, right? Um, is, is our decision-making, you know, productive, broken? Um, lots of things like that that go into a, a high-performing team that most teams, they haven't cracked the code on it. 
it, it almost always takes somebody from outside the team to come in and diagnose what you're missing on what cylinders you're not firing on, right? Mm-hmm. So this ability times engagement times environment, there's a lot in the environment that isn't, I have a fast enough laptop and access to all the systems. Right. It's the team, the team around me, are we functional or dysfunctional? And, and again, ability engagement environment, I may be super high on the ability scale and frankly, very engaged. And if my team is broken, that's a whole other issue and it will tank my ability and my, my engagement. Right. And, and at Walmart, you're dealing with so many different factors, you know, I mean, holy cow, you've got people who are in the trenches, in the stores doing the work, and then you have people at corporate that you're dealing with and a whole slew of individuals in between. There are different teams with a lot of different roles and a lot of different environments. So how do you manage training and communicating across all of those? Yeah, I, and I, you know, I, I think we're, we're very similar to a lot of big companies, right? There's, there's always a corporate office. There's always a, you know, either, either retail outlets or factory outlets or distribution centers. Um, I mean, we're certainly not unique. Our, our numbers may be different, but, 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 but the way we operate, I would guess, if I'm honest, is it, these, these things play out in, in most large companies in a very consistent way, right? Mm. Um, so, you know, to your question about, you know, how do I see it play out? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with helping people see the, the value of their work and helping them see that what they do makes a difference. Um, big companies, you know, you look at, look at us or, or anybody, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to say, uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we have a, we have a, a, an enterprise strategy and we have a, a, you know, whether it's a slogan or whatever you use. Um, and, but I'm over here in this one sub team under, under a department, under a division. And I don't know how I connect to that. I mean, I, I, I saw the slogan before I joined and it was super motivating and it kind of gave me chills. So I got a job at the company and now I'm over here in bookkeeping. And I don't know how, I don't know how that applies to the slogan over here that, that made me feel so motivated before. So helping people see that you really are tied to this vision um, that, that what you do really does impact customers and your customers may be in stores, your customers may be online, your customers may be, you know, the customers of your law firm or the people you support in your nonprofit. Um, but me and my role at my desk on a Tuesday, how easy is it for me to see line of sight between me and the reason the company exists or me and the reason we're going to do better this year? or me and the reason we're going to get ahead of our competition or over, overcome a big obstacle or whatever. And managers, well, let me let's say it differently. Leaders mm-hmm. help people, leaders help people see the connection between me at my desk on a Tuesday and this bigger picture that the founder had a vision of and customers are counting on. And that's not unique to my company. That's unique. That that's, that's across the board. Um, so I'd say, yeah, one of the biggest things that leaders can do is that, is helping me see that connection. Um, another thing is, and this sounds very tactical and maybe less romantic, but, but just making sure that I know how to do my job. Um, and and that's, there's a lot in there. It's, you know, do, do, do I get the proper training to do my job? Do I know how you're going to measure success? Because if I'm ambiguous in terms of what success looks like, that is demotivating as well. So if you don't want to like, put a damper on my engagement, Make sure I know what you expect. 
make sure it's realistic, make sure it's goal oriented, make sure I know how you're measuring me. And then make sure that I see the connection between that and the outcome. So maybe I am going for a promotion. Okay, so what do you expect before you promote somebody? Let's have that conversation and be as concrete as possible. And then, and then help me believe that when I do those things and we agree that I've done them, I will be promoted or I will get the raise or I will get the, the, the cool opportunity on the international assignment or whatever it is. Managers, managers can do that. Um, just help me understand what success looks like and how can I be successful? Yeah, it's almost like establishing an expectation or I feel like companies back in the, the Franklin Covey days, you know, the, the 80s and the 90s, it was like, we need to set forth our standards, our ideals and our values. And so they would write up some company theme or the values that they should rally behind. And it was very motivating at first. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden it mm -hmm. just became something that is posted up on the wall or if I were to go through the organization and ask the employees what the company actually stands for, they couldn't actually tell you. So it, it sounds no, like yeah. it's important to get very clear on those and, and actually implement it into everything that you do. And own it, right? The people, it's got to be, it seems, you know, top down ownership, right? Everybody at every level has to really be on board. Otherwise, it, you know, it just becomes a slogan on a wall, I guess. Right. Well, I mean, imagine what happens when they are, right? Imagine what happens when X number of employees in your company, large, medium, or small, when they all feel empowered and excited about it. I'll, I'll tell you a story, a true story, personal story. Um, years ago, uh, we took our daughters, they were very young. We took our daughters to Disneyland and day three of Disneyland. You can imagine I'm, I'm dragging, we're pushing strollers. I'm carrying them in the backpack. It's like, like we're tired. Right. Mm -hmm. And my oldest daughter says, okay, dad, one more ride. And I'm thinking, I got to amortize this. <laughs> Every ride is, uh, I'm getting more for my money. So yeah. Okay. One more ride. You know, it's, and the park is closing. Right. So she wanted to go on this ride. That's like way in the back of the park, kind of in, the, in one of the back corners. So we get there and we get on the ride, you know, we're probably the one of the last people to get on it and we come off the ride and it's dark and like the parade of people have kind of left the park and I find my wife and my other two daughters now asleep, the daughter's not my wife, <laughs> asleep <laughs> on the bench waiting for us. And um, true story, they're sitting there and they have these really bright, shiny Mickey Mouse stickers on their jackets. And I said, oh, where'd you get those? And part of me is thinking, those must have been like 20 bucks a piece, you know? <laughs> it's Disneyland. But, but uh, I was truly interested because the shops are closed. They're closed. She didn't buy them. I said, where'd you get those, honey? And she said, well, cool thing. She said, we were sitting here waiting. The girls are kind of cranky. And uh, an older gentleman came by and he was sweeping. He was cleaning up the mess from the day. And he saw us here. And he saw me kind of just, you know, kind of wrestling with the girls and he said, oh, hey, I have something for your girls. Is that okay? And he gave them each a sticker. And, and then he said, or she said, wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. And then and she, she said, I've been coming here since I was a kid. And I got to thank you for sweeping because I've always been impressed how many people come through. And I get here in the morning and it's like it's opening day. It's, it's spotless. Mm -hmm. And here's what he said. And here's the punchline. Here's what he said. He said, Walt would have wanted people to come in and have a special experience. And that's what I want too. Have a good night. Now, come on. Wow. Like this guy, he's, he's past retirement age, doesn't need to be there, never met Walt Disney. 
he's sweeping the ground in a, a dark, distant corner of the park when he doesn't expect anybody to be around. Mm-hmm. He's doing his job in a way that is directly connected with the vision of the founder. Wow. Holy cow. That's and I'm thinking, cool. I'm thinking most companies have a founder with a vision. I know mine does. And if I can somehow tap into that vision and get my folks, get my team to connect with that, wow, wow. So anyway, and the so, thing about, here's, here's, here's the thing. The thing about tapping into that vision is it ties into intrinsic engagement because one of the, one of the, one of the laws of engagement is this. Write this down. <laughs> Extrinsic engagement. When you when you when you check that box, when you give the promotion, when you give the raise, when you give the the, the juicy assignment, that has a shelf life that is less than when you satisfy intrinsic engagement. Mm. Think about the last time you were gunning for a promotion, and you got the promotion, and your pay went up by ten percent. Like you were jazzed for for a while, and then. It was just a job again. But think about the last time you were doing something that you loved or you somehow connected with the bigger picture. Yeah, it's still work. But I mean, I get it. Like it's clicking for me. The shelf life on that is much longer. So companies that continually play on extrinsic engagement find that they have to keep going back to the well and back to the well and back to the well. Right. It's kind of like selling off inventory to meet your sales goals. Right. Like there's only so much inventory to sell off, right? Right. But companies, companies that can tap into intrinsic engagement, either by connecting you to the vision or putting people in a role that gives them a chance to do what they love, those companies have the secret sauce and it lasts. So, okay. So this industry is, you know, well, I'll say the, the employee experience element of it, right? I think the evolution of, um, you know, enga- employee engagement 2.0 or, or however you want to call it, you know, I, I think is emerging. And um, so I think there's a lot of people out there that are, are, are sitting here going, this is awesome. This is fantastic. How, you know, in, in your role specifically, you know, how, what advice can you give on how organizations can go from being a company that either doesn't really do anything with engagement or focuses too heavily on extre- on um, uh, external forces and um, you know the, the outward focusing in on on helping people feel motivated and, and engaged to really tapping into that intrinsic motivation how, how does that change happen in an organization as a whole uh a ah, good question again. I, I would say, you know, back to your earlier comment about, man, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, <laughs> I mean, keeping in mind that companies need to keep doing what they do to stay in business. The doors have to stay open. The lights have to stay on. So no one has time for this that right. they didn't know what to do at that time. Like, man, you know, we just found that we're, we're, we're totally free every Thursday. What can we do? I know. Let's get engaged. <laughs> right. You know, that's, that's, that's not, not going to happen. Right. right. So, so start small. Start small. And I don't care if you're, if you're a, a manager of a team of five or if you're a, an executive with a division of 5,000 mm-hmm. or whatever, just start small. Sure. And you don't, need to, you don't need to, you know, in the same breath, revamp your selection process to include intrinsic motivation questions and um, reassign all your workers to things that they love and go do a bunch of training and build their confidence. And like, like right. it, it would just too much. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't do that. But, 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 but pick something, and every company is different, and every, every company is they're at a different place at the start of the journey, and they may have different gaps or different opportunities. 
So figure out what your gaps and opportunities are and just do a couple things, but do them in a way that sticks. Like it can't be flavor of the month because not really thinking about engagement and then thinking about engagement is behavior change. And here's the change manager coming out in me. Like, <laughs> like the, the human behavior change is tough, but right. like changing the way you think like mental habits is, is the hardest of all. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so as on, on an enterprise level, changing the way we think about engagement, that's a heavy lift. Yeah. And if you think about it, you know, you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to lift something that's heavy. Do you want like 10 linear feet of it or just one linear foot of it? Right. Just start with one linear foot of engagement and don't lift something that's 10 feet wide because you just can't get it off the ground, but start small, pick a couple things and just do them long enough to change the culture. And, and, and you alluded to this in, in your response. Um, but, but just to, to highlight it, would you, would you say, I, I, well, I think a lot of people think to themselves, well, you know, there's nothing I can do if executives aren't, aren't bought in particular, you know, uh, folks in the HR space, you know, um, I think they, I think this idea connects with them really well, but I, I think sometimes they feel kind of handcuffed maybe because they don't quite have the executive buy-off. Uh, are these changes, can, can people start making um, substantive changes on their own without having perhaps executive buy-off, you know, again, not doing anything against uh, the company by any means, but you know, does, <laughs> does the exact, do the executives have to be converted to this cause of, 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 you know, engagement experience, um, all this sort of stuff before individual team leaders, managers, uh, department. No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. In fact, in fact, it'll go faster. Well, I shouldn't say faster, but it, it will work just as well if it's, if it's ground up, if it's grassroots, <clears throat> because me as, as a manager of my little team, um, I, I have quite a bit of influence of what happens there. I, I, right. I influence the assignments. Right. Um, I influence uh, rewards. I, inf I influence uh, resolving conflict and removing barriers. Um, I definitely can, can just make it my mission to, to improve my team's performance by focusing on the engagement bucket. Now it can't be all fun. Like we're not going to throw the workout and like, you know, have happy hour every day because that's, that's not realistic. Right. right. But right. I can, I can do something that I'm not doing today and see if it works and do something else that I'm not doing to see if it works. And, and very rarely do you need like the CEO's approval to, uh, you know, take your team to lunch right. or have a Christmas party or, right. you know, or a holiday party or wh whatever, whatever you do. Um, sure. you know, it's just, it's just, uh, it, you can start small. Absolutely. Fantastic. That, that is absolutely incredible. Well, Eric, we, we've had just a fantastic time chatting and unpacking all of this wonderful stuff. I think a big takeaway for me is that the secret sauce could be many different things, but it's not a mystery. There are ingredients that go into it. There is a formula, if you will. And I thank you so much for sharing your formula for success in the employee engagement space and how we can make the workplace a better and happier place to be. Before we close, is there any last minute advice that you'd want to share with any of our listeners? No, I, I think, I think you hit on the head there. Um, it can be overwhelming if you try to swallow it whole, uh, just look at the component parts and just pick one and work on that one. And, and you can do an experiment and see if it works. Um, it doesn't need to be overwhelming. And I think you'll see the results with it. Awesome. Well, listeners, we've been joined here with Eric Rowley. Thank you so much for your insights, and we look forward to our next chat. Take care, everyone. Thanks, guys.